that baby looks exactly like Patrick. I don't know how you guys did it. If, if you don't know, that baby's been, a, they're in the process of adopting the baby. And I, don't, I don't know how God put that together with you guys, but it is amazing that he is such an identical, almost like a little baby twin of Patrick. So congratulations, guys. So glad to have you guys back. Uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles, Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. And if you have one of our Bibles, it is on page 558, 558. If you don't have a Bible of your own or if you've got an old Bible that's kind of fallen apart, feel free to take one of our Bibles with you. This is our gift to you. Luke chapter 4, we're going to be starting in verse 31. We have been walking through the book of Luke together, which by the way, if you're new, this is our favorite way to study the Bible is just to walk through a whole book of the Bible uh, we feel that that is the best way for us to learn how to study the Bible together, is by walk, walking through and learning the context of it. Um, and ultimately, my goal in, on a Sunday morning is not to share a bunch of my opinions or my stories, but is to simply describe and explain what the original inspired author intended, the one that God inspired, because it's his words that are authority, not mine. And so last week, we talked about how we need to be more needy, okay, which I know is not a popular message, but Jesus comes into Nazareth and he preaches the gospel. It's the first sermon that we have recorded in the Bible, and he says, look, the kingdom is about those people, are, is for those people who are spiritually poor. The gospel is for those who are spiritually captive and blind and oppressed, but Nazareth, the, the, his hometown, didn't receive that message very well. In fact, they rejected him, and he leaves there. And we talked about the importance of us being just totally dependent on God. And today, what we're going to see is really the fuel that helps us maintain that total dependency for salvation and for our sanctification, for us growing into the likeness of Christ. There's a fuel that's available to us, and we see that in this passage today. And we're going to also see that that same fuel that sustains our dependency on God also fuels us for his mission. And so we're going to take a look at that also. Now, the fuel is this. I'm going to just put it out there and we're going to talk a lot about it. It's the, it's the authority of Christ. That's the fuel that helps us maintain our dependence on, on him. And by authority, I just simply mean this. This is a definition of authority. It's the right to exercise power. And so if, my, if I tell my son to pick up toys and he questions me and says, why should I do that? What right do you have to tell me to pick up something? Well, first of all, he's going to be in a little bit of trouble if he does that. But I would just simply say, look, I have authority because I'm your father. Authority just simply means the right to exercise power. Christ's authority is supreme. He has ultimate authority as God he has ultimate authority, and we're going to see that today. He has authority in his word. His voice has authority. We're going to see that Christ has total authority over the enemy, over demons and, and Satan. We're going to see that Christ has total authority over even sickness and, and ultimately death and all of creation. And my prayer, my prayer this morning is that God would use this passage to really ignite a flame in our hearts, to be excited about the authority of God, that we would be in awe of the authority of God, because I'm convinced of this, that the people, that if this church is going to have an impact on this community, we've got to be excited about the authority of God, because people who are excited about the authority of God 
are people that are going to be excited about the mission of God. We're going to see the connection between those two things, the authority of Christ and the mission of Christ today. So we're going to pick up in chapter 4, verse 31. We're going to walk through this passage. I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to talk about it. And so uh, just try to stay up. Keep up. We're going to move pretty fast. All right, so this is Jesus after being rejected by his hometown, continues his preaching ministry in Capernaum. Verse 31, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. So when Jesus taught, it was like nothing they had ever heard before. In fact, that word in the original language that they were astonished can also mean panic, or they were just totally shocked. That's how much power and authority that Christ spoke with. Jesus did not talk like the Pharisees and the the scribes of their day. The Pharisees and the scribes, when they spoke in the synagogues, they would often just string a a number of quotations together of their favorite rabbi. And that's where they, 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 they looked to for authority. But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't talk like the Pharisees or the scribes. In fact, he didn't even talk like the Old Testament prophets. Think about it, when the Old Testament prophets, when they spoke with authority, they would say, thus says the Lord. Jesus never had to say that, though. He never had to say, thus said the Lord. He was, the, he is the Lord. He would say simply, I say to you, this is the truth, or truly, truly, I say to you. His words had authority because they were the very words of God. And so we insult Christ if we think that he was just a good teacher, We insult Christ if we just look at him as like a wise moral philosopher. He had the authority, he had divine authority to speak. And we're going to see that that authority played out in in a number of different ways. We're going to see that over the next few verses. He commands demons and they listen. He commands sickness, a fever flees at his very word. Look down at verse 33. So in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent. Come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed. And they said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits. And they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Yesterday we had our Nelson Baptist Association spring gathering. And uh, there were several of you that, that went to that. One of the breakout sessions was church security. Which was, that's a huge hot topic going on right now. I don't know if you guys talked about the possibility of a demon-possessed man coming in and screaming at us, though. Probably not. I can imagine that would be a pretty scary situation. Uh, If you're sitting there and this man comes in and just starts screaming at Jesus. Well, real quick background. There's a whole lot of misconceptions about demons. And so I just want to take kind of a little side road here and talk about demons real quick. Demons were originally created by God as angels, and their home was heaven. They, they were created to serve and to, to worship God. But because of their pride, because of their rebellion, they became evil. Their leader, Lucifer, became known as Satan or, or the devil. And he was able to convince a third of the angels to, to follow him. 
And so God cast them all out of heaven. And so today their life goal is to try to just disrupt God's plans and and his purposes. And so, of course, they're not going to succeed. In fact, the apostle uh, John in Revelation talks about that one day they will all be thrown into the lake of fire where they'll spend eternity in torment. So this demon, he knows who Jesus is. He was created by Jesus. He had spent uh, time worshiping Jesus at one point. He knows who Jesus is, and he shudders, and he says, have you come to destroy us? Because he knows what's going to happen eventually. Jesus doesn't get excited, though, does he? He's like, this puny demon, (laughs) what what can he do? He simply says, be silent. Literally, be muzzled. That's what he meant there. And get out. And if Jesus can throw Satan out of heaven, surely he can throw a demon out of a man. Listen, if, if you're a believer, you don't need to be scared of a demon. If you have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in you, those demons are scared of you. I do not believe if you are, if you are a believer, if you have a, the Spirit of Christ in you, you cannot be possessed by a demon. You might be able to be influenced by, by demons. There is a spiritual war going on that we cannot see. The Bible talks about it often. But you don't need to be scared of demons. They are scared of you. So the demon is cast out by the simple command of Jesus, and everyone was amazed, again, at what? At the authority of Christ's words. Not only does Christ have the authority over demons, but he also has the authority over sickness. Take a look at the next verse, 38. And he arose, and he left the synagogue, and he entered into Simon's house. This is Peter's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her, and he rebukes rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. So the fever just didn't leave. I mean, she felt normal right after. He told the fever to go. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them. This is really interesting. He rebukes the demons He's, and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Okay, so some of you might be asking, why? Why would Jesus rebuke the demons and not let them say, tell everybody else that he is the Son of God, that he's the Messiah? Why would he do that? I mean, it seems kind of like easy publicity, right? Well, maybe it's because he doesn't want that kind of publicity. Maybe he doesn't want the father of lies telling other people about who he is. That might be part of it. But I think also he doesn't want that publicity at this point because he doesn't want to stir up a political uproar at this early stage in his ministry. You see, many of the Jews believed that the Messiah, when he came, he would, be, he would overthrow the Roman Empire. That's what they believed. And so Jesus didn't need to be at the center of some kind of rumored conspiracy theory that's going to take down the Roman Empire. That would not have helped his purposes. And so he told the demons to be quiet be muzzled. (laughs) And so Luke points out that this whole section is really about Jesus's authority. He rebukes demons and they flee. He rebukes fever and disease and they flee. And that really these stories are just the tip of the iceberg. They just scratch the surface about talking about Christ's authority. Uh, John chapter 1 verse 3, all things, all things were made through him. And without him was not 
anything made that was made. Jesus is the one who made the heavens and the earth. He is the author of life itself, and the author has authority. Not only is he the creator, but he's also the sustainer of the universe. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1.17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Every atom in the universe holds itself together because of Christ's word. Not only does he create and sustain, he also governs. Luke 8.25, after Jesus calms the storm, what does he say to his disciples? Or what, does his disciples, what do his disciples say about him? They say, who, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. There's not a drop on this planet that Jesus Christ doesn't have authority over. He governs all of nature, and he governs all events throughout history. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Even the sinful acts of men are not outside of God's sovereignty. The ultimate example of this is the crucifixion. Think about this. Jesus went to the cross. Who sent him to the cross? It was sinful men, but that was all part of God's plan. Acts 4 shows this. Peter and John, are just re- they, they've just been released from prison. They go back to the disciples, and this is how they pray. They say, this is coming out of prison. They say, sovereign God. They pray this. Truly, in this city, they were gathered together against, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed with both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand, Lord, And your plan, Lord, had predestined to take place. Herod, Pilate, the Jews calling for his crucifixion, the Roman soldiers that spit in his face, all part of God's plan. He is sovereign over all of it. Jesus even claimed to be able to have authority to forgive sins. The Pharisees and the scribes, they heard that and they they thought it was blasphemy because he was claiming to be God, which is exactly what he was doing. It wasn't blasphemy because he is God. And he proved all of that authority. He proved that he had all of that authority when he rose from the grave. Conquering death. Conquering sin. Proving that he has authority even over death itself. Jesus has ultimate authority. And now we look at these next two verses and I think it's really significant. That in verse 42 and 43, Jesus reveals his life mission, his life purpose in these two verses. And I think it's significant that Luke places this life purpose quote from Jesus right after he talks about the authority of Jesus. Because I think there's a direct connection. Verse 42, and when it was day, he departed and he went into a desolate place, probably to pray, did that often. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, This is his mission statement. I must preach the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. His purpose was to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. We we talked about that gospel last week, that he came to proclaim to the broken, that that you, you and I have all broken God's design. Our sin breaks what was, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Because we've broken his design, we all deserve 
a consequence. We all deserve eternal punishment. But the good news that he talks about is if you see yourself as spiritually poor, that you need a Savior, that you need forgiveness, if you see yourself as that, you can call out to him and cry out to him and ask for forgiveness. And if you repent of your sins and believe in the authority of Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, that what he did on the cross paid the penalty for your sins, if you believe in that, that's the gospel. That's what he preached. He promises to do something amazing, that he forgives your sins. And he gives you his own spirit that brings you back into the right design that you were originally for, that you were made in his image to glorify his name. And so that was his mission, to proclaim that message, that the king is here, the kingdom has come. Now where else in scripture, think about this, where else in scripture do we see a connection between the authority of Christ and the proclamation of the gospel. Where do we see a connection? Where do we see those two things side by side? The authority of Christ, just like we just saw, and the proclamation of the gospel. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28. Uh, This is the Great Commission. Uh, If you've been a Christian for a while, you know this passage very well. The Great great Commission, this is after the resurrection. This is kind of like his final word to his disciples before he would ascend into heaven. And we're going to look at Matthew 28. I'm going to start in verse 16 because I want you to see the context of what's going on here. And so now the 11 disciples went to Galilee up to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I think it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the context of the Great Commission is that Jesus is talking to disciples and there's a mixture of worship and doubt. Now they've seen him rise from the grave. They they saw him crucified on the cross. They saw him, he's standing before him alive, and yet they're still doubting him. Blows my mind. And yet, this is what he says to them. He he doesn't get on them about it. He, He says this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Now first, I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't simply say, go and make disciples because I told you so. Okay? He doesn't do that. He gives us motivation. But also notice this, that the primary motivation for the Great Commission, according to Jesus, is not our compassion for the lost. He doesn't say, look at all the lost people that are out there that are going to hell. Go, therefore, and make disciples. He doesn't do that, does he? What is the primary motivation that he gives us for going to proclaim the gospel? It's not our compassion for the lost, although I think that is a motivation. The primary motivation that he gives his disciples is his own authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, why would he do that? Why would that be the primary motivation? Why would the authority of Jesus be our primary motivation to proclaim the gospel? This is huge. We've got to get this. Because if our motivation is wrong, it will just disappear eventually, and we'll get burnt out. But if our authority, if the authority of Christ is our primary motivation, this is what that means. It means that he is worthy of our worship. 
If we are, if we're excited about, if we're in awe of the authority of Christ, that gives us a reason to worship him. His authority is, is what makes him worthy of our worship. And listen, mission always starts with worship. Mission always starts with worship. The greater awe you have in the authority of King Jesus, the more you are going to want to share about the kingdom with others. When God does something amazing in your life, you can't help but share it. Uh, this past week, as we're dealing with two feet of water in, our, in, in the building that we're preparing to go in there, um, I, I was just blown away. In fact, last week, a week ago, sun, Sunday afternoon, it started. Phone calls of people offering help. More people than I can even handle have offered help. Um, First Baptist Mount Washington is taking up a love offering today and next Sunday, and they've already uh, voted to, uh, in addition to that, they're, they're going to pay for our flood insurance for the next year. Um, so pray, yes. That's not even the best story. And, and, and many of you know the, uh, an even better story because I can't stop talking about it. So Monday morning, I, I call, actually, I, I texted um, uh, a buddy of mine, Chris Harris, who is, uh, he's a member at First Baptist Mountain Washington. Some of you may know him. He, uh, he does mold remediation and flood damage repair. That's, that's what he does for a living. So I wanted to call him and just kind of touch base with him, figure out, okay, are we doing things right? Because I don't want a ton of mold to be in our building after this is all said and done. And so I'm talking back and forth with him, and uh, we're texting back and forth. And so he recommends this company up in Louisville called Bridgepoint. And Bridgepoint rents out industrial-sized blowers and dehumidifiers for this kind of situation. And he's got a connection. One of the guys in his Sunday school class works for them, and so he was going to reach out to them, see if they could help. Honestly, he wasn't very hopeful because of the amount of flooding that was going on. He figured, well, they're probably covered up right now, but hey, I'll go ahead and try. And I was like, yeah, definitely. Can't hurt to go and, and call them, talk to them, see what happens. While I'm texting back and forth with him, within a minute of, this is the first time I've ever heard of this company, by the way. I've never heard of Bridgepoint until that moment. Within a minute or two, Cameron looks at her phone. My wife looks at her phone, and she looks, and there's a Facebook message from the wife of the owner of that company. <laughs> Evidently, she was Facebook friends with her, like from years ago when my wife worked at Whitfield Academy. And so she had already reached out the night before, sent my wife a message on Facebook asking if we needed help and sending us her husband's phone number saying he wanted to help. So right now there's 25 blowers and five de or dehumidifiers in the building waiting for the power to get turned back on so we can dry out the building. God is amazing. And I tell you what, I can't, I've told that story, I don't know, a hundred times. I tried to get it on the news, they wouldn't take it. But... <laughs> I've told that story over and over and over because when God does something amazing in your life, you want to tell other people about it. Jesus Christ died for your sins. How can we not talk about that? When we start thinking about who God is and the authority of Christ and who we are, helpless, needing mercy, needing forgiveness, and to know that he paid the ultimate price on the cross for us, how could we not want to tell the world about that? He's done way more than just provide a few blowers and dehumidifiers for us. He's taken our sin and, and paid the penalty for us with his own blood. That's amazing. One, of the, one other thing that, that I found this week is that 
as I've, I've meditated on the authority of Christ, and it's been really my rock through the midst of this, this flood situation, when your heart is amazed by the authority of Jesus, there's not much room for your heart to be gripped by doubt and by fear. And that's been huge for me this week. One of the, the great truths of the Bible that, I've, that has gotten me through this past couple of weeks with the, with the building flooding is, is knowing that, that Jesus has authority over all of this. I, 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 I tried to get the news to, to take this quote too. They wouldn't do it. But uh, I told them that, look, I believe that every single raindrop on this planet, like I said before, is under the control of King Jesus. And that flood is disappointing and devastating as it was. There's a reason for it. And we're going to be better for it as a church. And our community will be better for it because of that also. We've already seen his grace in the midst of it. See, there's, there's really two questions that you need to be able to answer. When trials come your way, whether it's cancer or divorce or addiction or whatever else you're dealing with right now, there's really two questions you need to be able to, deal, or to, be able to answer. Who's in control and where is God? Those are the two questions you want to be able to answer. And the Great Commission gets to both of them. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. All authority. And I will be with you. I will be with you till the end of the age. There is no better news than that. And so Jesus is saying in the Great Commission, I have been given all authority to redeem people from every single nation. And so now I send you under my authority to make disciples of all those nations. And if you rely on me and not try to do it on your own, if you rely on me, you cannot fail. I mean, this should cause us to have some fervency in our prayer life for the lost and for our community. To build your church, Jesus. You have promised, Jesus has promised that his church will be built. There's no flood that can deter that. Even the gates of hell will not prevail against his church being built. And so as we lean on him and rely fully on him, he promises that we cannot fail. He has the authority to make that promise, and he has the authority to keep that promise. Not only that, it should cause us to go and evangelize and tell the gospel, proclaim the gospel, even in the hardest places, even when we feel intimidated about sharing the gospel. I know many of us sitting in this room are scared to death to share the gospel with people because we're, we, we feel like, gosh, we don't know what to say. We, we don't, if they ask questions, we don't know how to answer the tough questions. We, we feel like that we're just going to make a fool of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, look, it's not by your authority that you go and proclaim the gospel. It's by my authority. And even if you stumble over your words, even if you don't know all the answers, look, I am the one that has authority to change their hearts and their lives, not you. So it doesn't matter what you say or how you say it. You want to know the truth and you want to practice. You want to get confident at sharing the gospel. But ultimately, it's not up to you to, sh- to change their life. Christ is the one who has that authority, not us. There's huge pressure that take, is taken off your shoulder when you recognize that. It's under his authority that we go to proclaim the gospel. He's the one that has authority to change hearts. He's the one that has authority to take your friends and your family and your neighbors and people you know at work and at school and convict them of their sins. 
He's the one that has authority to lead them to repentance, and he has the ultimate authority to save them, to forgive their sins. We are his vessels to proclaim that truth to them, to proclaim the good news to the blind, to the spiritually poor, because that's who we were. And so if you're sitting here today and maybe you've, you've never recognized your need for the gospel, you've never recognized that Christ has the ultimate authority, and that is a good thing. And you're sitting here today, and maybe for the first time, God has opened up your eyes to see the significance of the gospel, and you recognize that, look, I need to put my life under the authority of Christ because I have been fighting that authority, and I think there are so many things in this world that distract us from the authority of Christ and, and try, to, uh, try to gain authority over us, including our own will. And maybe that's to you today, where you recognize that, look, I have not recognized Christ as my ultimate authority. And you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, putting your trust in him, repenting of your sins, and pleading for forgiveness. If that's you today, I want to know about it because I want to celebrate with you because God has done a miracle in your heart. And so in a minute, we're going we're gonna to celebrate communion, and, and I'm going to be in the back. Uh, come back. And if you've got, if you need prayer today, um, please come talk to me in the back. I, I would love to pray with you. But let's, let's pray right now. And then uh, I'll explain communion. Father, uh, it is only by your grace that we stand here today forgiven. It is only by your authority that we know that we have hope. It is only by your authority that we, that we are changed into your image. And I pray that we would lean on your authority and not our own to fight sin, to have boldness to go and proclaim the gospel to the lost. I pray that fear and doubt would fade away and that excitement and joy and amazement would rise in our hearts as we compare who we know we are versus who we know you are. King Jesus, thank you for caring for us enough to die on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.